Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Hey, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, your weekend wine guy. And uh, let's see, you're, uh, you're Commodore of Champagne. That's what I'm going to be. They're usually the Commodore of Cocktails, but today it's all about bubbles in the, uh, the great wines of the Champagne region of France. And uh, Cha- National or International Champagne Day is coming up here, and I'm so delighted to have a longtime friend and a wine professional. Uh, Reg Daniel is here, and she works for American Northwest Distributors. She has a, a host of great champagnes in her book, and um, she's going to be sharing some wonderful bubbles, some history, and uh, just t- chatting about what makes champagne such a glorious beverage. Um, and it's uh, the holidays are coming. And I know that we save champagne for the holidays or for those special occasions, but truly, if uh, you want a party, <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> That's it. Hey, Reg, welcome to Happy Hour. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, me too. It's, it's uh, you're, happy hour all day. It is swell. It's always happy hour all day and all night right here in 570 KVI. Um, that is really one of the best sounds in the world. And I'm so surprised. I, I wish that uh, as an event sommelier, which I am, that the Guild of Sommeliers would actually allow us to make that noise. Because for me, that's kind of like, hey, someone's having a great time. Someone's uh, starting off with bubbles. And uh, someone's probably spending a little bit of cash. So that's always a good thing when you're in the biz. Um, but hey, let's talk about the business, Reg. Um, you were you are were the uh, wine technology coordinator over at South Seattle uh, College in uh, the Northwest Wine Academy. And you've since left that uh, um, and moved on to a different side of the wine biz. Tell me what you're doing. I'm loving it, too. I'm working as a portfolio manager, but I still teach uh, part-time at uh, various venues for certifications. But my uh, portfolio management job is, you know, I get out and visit people and socialize with them and pop bubbles (laughs) and taste them on wines and manage a portfolio portfolio. for American Northwest that uh, includes, you know, everything from around the world, but of course it includes champagne. Love so, it. yeah, it's super fun. And you can pop, make that popping sound at home all you want. Uh, And that's not just from coming from the microwave either. It's actually coming from uh, between your hands. Uh, Some people are into savoring champagne. Uh, Where do you think that started? Wow. Where do you think? Um, Russia. (laughs) I'm sure it was, well, maybe the Knights or, you know, the King or uh, some celebratory reason. And there were lots of celebratory reasons in Champagne because that's where kings and queens were crowned. And so many of those celebrations started there, you know, back in the uh, Dark Ages and Middle Ages. So I'm sure it had to do with shoot, we're not able to get this top off. Let's just cut it off. <laughs> I don't have a wine key, but I have a saber <laughs> or a sword. Oh, that's right. uh, and that's funny. Well, let's talk about, so people know where Champagne is. Champagne is a region in France, and it's about 90 miles, a little bit northeast of Paris. 
Um, and it uh, it really surrounds two major cities, uh, the town of Epernay and the town of Rance. And you were alluding to the great uh, uh, church, L'Eglise uh, mm-hmm. de Rance, where they did crown the kings of uh, yore and back in the Dark Ages. And it's what a spectacular church that is. It is magnificent. And the whole city is magnificent. And actually, the whole region of Champagne, which encompasses those two cities, and don't forget about Troyes, which is in the south in the Cote de Bar, those three cities, as well as all the towns, are all about bubbles. They are all about champagne, um, and they're all about wine. Everywhere you go, that's what you see, and it's a uh, beautiful countryside, beautiful weather. You've been there, Christopher, I right? have been. And so have I. It, it's where I want to end up. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? Uh, for sure. And uh, apparently they can dig well deep into those grounds because they're calcareous limestone or chalk, if you will. So we're talking about a region in, in the country of France. It's a de, uh, de, demarcated region, which is known as an appellation of uh, Champagne. Uh, Champagne has rules, and it's pretty cool that France started this whole thing uh, back in 1930. Thirty-seven or something like that with the uh, Appellation Origine Controlée. So Champagne is a region. It's um, it, it's basically a collection of, is it five regions or do they say six? Is it? Yeah, they say five, but it really is six. I mean, if you think about the Saison region. Right. Yeah. You, Côte de Saison, mm-hmm. the Montagne de Rance, the Côte de Bar, the uh, Côte de Blanc, uh, Côte de Blanc mm-hmm. and the Vallée de Marne. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Exactement. And what most people think about of Champagne, obviously, of course, is bubbles. And uh, but people don't necessarily think about the grapes. Let's talk about the grapes in Champagne. Uh, let's, because, well, people who think they know Champagne may not <laughs> <laughs> may not realize that there's more than the three most famous grapes um, that are allowed in the regulations to be grown and made into Champagne. The three most famous, of course, Pinot Noir. Uh, Chardonnay are the two most commonly known. Uh, and then Pinot Meunier, of course, which is a red grape. So those three grapes, two reds and a white, uh, are the most commonly used and produced, you know, for Champagne. But Pinot Blanc Pinot is Blanc. also allowed in Champagne. And actually, one of these Champagnes that I have with me today has uh, Pinot Blanc, a fair amount of Pinot Blanc in it. Yes. Uh, down in the Cote de Bar region, which, uh, you know, fought... When you say down, you're talking about south. South, yeah, south of... It's still in the Champagne region, but it's, you know, it's further south, uh, closer to Chablis, as you know. Right. Um, they fought for, you know, their inclusion in Champagne, and originally they were excluded. We are here, we are here. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so some of the wines produced down in the southern part of the Champagne region have uh, different grape varieties blended in, uh, like Pinot Blanc. So this Petit Meslier mm-hmm. and uh, is it Arvon? Arvon and, and, and a little mm-hmm. Pinot Gris, I guess. But little, mm-hmm. that's kind of gone away. And of course, um, the big houses, which is uh, when we think about Champagne, we think about a vineyard, of course. We think about those grapes. But when we, when most consumers think about Champagne, you think about name one. Oh, I like that yellow label, the Vauvicot, or <laughs> and uh, the Grand Marks, as we call them. These are the mm-hmm. large producers. And let's talk about the history of Champagne. So basically. Um, Champagne, it's interesting because Champagne was a region before bubbles <laughs> were really part yeah, of Champagne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people uh, attribute it to, um, you know, the famous monk, Dom Perignon, 
uh, that he came up with the idea for bubbles and yada yada, but really that's not true. Although he was instrumental in a lot of things, most of it about blending, mm-hmm. he understood that this is a region at the far north edges of uh, viticulture, you know, where it's a little too cold to grow uh, red grapes and get them ripe. Right. So he came up with the idea of blending different vintages. So different years, he would secure some of the wines from different years and then blend them back in. And so he was the cellar master for the uh, monastery and was able to... Otvier. Otvier, really, mm-hmm. yes. Was able to come up with these uh, blends that were better than, you know, a single vintage. And so that's really his contribution. But, I mean, when you think about it, you and I know wine has to, well, grapes have to um, get to a certain ripeness to have enough sugar to turn into alcohol. They need their bar mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so with uh, the northern climate, there isn't enough warmth or sunshine every year necessarily. Now, of course, there is. We see a lot lot of big differences. Yeah. Yeah, well, love it in, yeah, <laughs> and course. then there's issues too. Ingest, of course. <laughs> um, so I think what happened was, you know, we're guessing at some of this, but probably the wine got cold, so fermentation stopped, right? Right, because the yeasts were, are really simple-celled creatures that don't like to, they're, they're really cold-blooded, so yeah. they need some heat to really get activated. Yeah, like I used to tell my students, I'm too cold to eat sugar. <laughs> <laughs> right, so like the, ice cream, I guess you would. <laughs> right. Huh? So they stop, they stop eating uh, the sugar, and they just kind of slow down and just go to sleep. Uh, in the spring, when it warmed up again, if you put a cap on that bottle, you think it's all done fermenting, and then bada-boom, you get fermentation happening again. You're trapping bubbles in there because, of course, CO2 is one of the... Um, byproducts yep. of fermentation, alcohol, CO2, and glycerol. Um, and yep. you would... Uh, so basically, there's a little bit of sweetness left in, in the wine because the, yeah. the yeast went to sleep, and then now they woke up in the springtime, and they got some effervescence. So a lot of people think that the, the whole bubble idea came from champagne. In fact, it didn't. Um, it was really a region that sort of embraced the idea because yes. of their, their northern latitude uh, and also their uh, challenges with uh, ripening. But um, obviously, the whole blending idea helped them create better wines. But uh, there's two schools of thought here. First of all, the Saint-Hilaire down in the the uh, um, down south uh, near Carcassonne uh, in the Limoux region, mm-hmm. which uh, w- was really the first area, again, and monastery, some monks who were the educated people back in the day, um, and they were the farmers and the scholars, and they could read and write, and they did a lot of prayers and uh, got fat and happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they are credited with having the first sparkling wine in France. Um, but there's a little talk about somebody had an idea back in England in the 1600s, late 1600s, about... Um, a scientist said, hey, if I add sugar to this, it actually creates bubbles because the yeast never really die. Yeast are everywhere in our world. Yep. Um, but we won't worry about that stuff. Let's just pretend champagne is where it's at because champagne is the, the culmination of uh, the craft, to be honest, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the reason that we love champagne is because of how it's crafted. It is not just putting CO2 into some wine. Coca-Cola method. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and getting some bubbles, um, which unfortunately does happen, and it gets the name champagne. A lot of people call anything with bubbles champagne. And that's what, you know, isn't fair. 
that would be like saying, oh, the wines in Walla Walla are Napa Valley. And of course they're not. They're, you know, Napa Valley's Napa Valley. Napa Valley's burned up. Gosh, yeah. that's, and uh, that's, we'll, we'll raise a toast to all our yes. survivors and, and the, the the getting back to, uh, well, back to living. There's a lot of work to be done down there, and it's really yeah. sad. Um, but gosh darn it, that's just Mother Nature at her worst. And some of our uh, actually par- champagne uh, producers have properties in Sonoma where there are fires. Yeah. And so there's, uh, you know, concerns, of They course. saw the writing on the wall that, hey, th- these mm-hmm. areas, there's other areas in the world that actually, uh, g- grape-growing regions that can produce um, beautiful wines of, of elegance and complexity, which uh, are hallmarks of Champagne. So we have some big producers. You've got Roterer, you've got uh, Moet Chandon, and you've Tattinger. got uh, mm-hmm. Tattinger, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's pretty cool because those wines are tasty, and they're great California sparkling wines, but Again, they're not quite, even though they got a Frenchman trying to produce yeah, them yeah. Uh, and, and blessing it, um, they're not quite champagne. And so we're talking about craft mm-hmm. and elegance. Yep. And um, But the, one of the big reasons, as you know, is the chalk. That champagne has these chalk cellars. Um, the chalk was actually quarried out to use for building, which some of the major cathedrals are built um, from this uh, chalk. Chalk is limestone right right but chalk is different than limestone correct it's just in a, a different, different phase of its mm-hmm. of the evolution of its evolution right yeah. so, so it's, it's still calcareous still and limestone calcareous. is calcareous and um, high in calcium carbonate exactly yeah. yep. uh, and when you think about that we'll talk about france um at one point in the world in the world the timeline <laughs> this could go on france was underwater and there was a giant uh, ocean bed with lots and lots of little oyster shells and seashells and cuz that was simple life that's a bivalve it's yeah. it's kind of like a couple degrees up from me so <laughs> this is the geeky geology that we love this that's is why the geeky we geology. love 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 wine because there's so much geology history culture you know, agriculture, so much involved in the production. And for Champagne, like you talk about, France being underwater. Hold that thought. Okay. We'll keep our friends Hold in your suspense. Breath. Hold your breath, Seattle. <laughs> That's right. I got Reg Daniel here. We got uh, Celebrating Champagne Day coming up on October 20th right here on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest original. Lars Larson, live weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, that's me. And I've got Reg Daniel, the uh, portfolio manager for American Northwest Distributor here in Seattle. We're talking champagne. It's International Champagne Day coming up on October 20th. That's a Friday, by the way, and uh, so delighted to have Reg here. We're talking about really some of the terroirs, some of the soils that would, which make this particular sparkling wine in the world to be so unique, and we're talking about being underwater. Oh, I finally got my breath back. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so the, the history there is thousands of years, like you said, um, that France was underwater, and of course all that sea life calcified and created all this limestone. The Cliffs of Dover. The White Cliffs of Dover. The White Cliffs of Dover is a big chunk of limestone, and it goes under the channel and into France, and all of that limestone got broken up. 
and got distributed throughout that Paris basin, as they call it. Right. So um, this is why we see so much chalk. And chalk is actually, a geologist told me, little microbes, little actually living little microbes that are all separate little individuals isn't that crazy we are here we are here we are here you know there's so many trump innuendos going on with that right now <laughs> they can stay were they here before they were brought by by some uh traveling parents anyway um yeah so so chalk makes a very unique it uh it drains well and when you think about grapes they don't like to have wet feet um, it also is very porous where the, the, the roots can go down to find that water. So you get great what we we'll call the sense of minerality because there's yeah. a big argument whether you can taste it or not. But exactly. gosh darn it. You know what? I believe you can taste it. And here's why. The, you know, all the years I've been in wine 40 years now I can say I'm 58 I started when I was 18 <laughs> and actually before that because my father made wine but um, I was in Muscadet Muscadet is northwest France you know <clears throat> our sister city excuse me is Nantes Nantes, the city right. of Nantes. yeah Nantes region so we're at the very open the, the, where the Loire yeah. River ends into the Atlantic yep so you're up north there uh, lots of minerality uh, lots of different rocks and while we were in Loire uh, the producer there that we were visiting, the Muscadet producer, said, do you know how water tastes different depending on where you go in the world? True. You can taste yeah. different minerals. And since the grape is 80 to 90 percent water or more, depending on the grape variety and where it's grown, it can translate those flavors into the wine depending on what the winemaker does, of course. True. But um, we definitely see that. And further on my trip, later in the week, we were, <laughs> <laughs> which was an awesome week of Loire Valley wines, we were in another part of Loire Valley, uh, and I drank some water from, you know, the castle that we were visiting, and it tasted salty. And I thought, wow, this is weird. It's like, you know, the universe is saying, here, here it is, Reg. Here's the salty water from our minerals. And so I think that champagne really, you recognize those elements when you taste it. I know you and I do. We can recognize them because we've been comparing champagne to various other sparkling wines across the world. Yes, and uh, some of us will say there's no comparison, but there are many um, contrasts and um, some con some continuity with certain styles of wines. And I, I see you reaching for a glass. It is about that time to pour <laughs> some bubbles. Let's celebrate uh, this happy Saturday night. Um, fantastic. So this, oh, look at that. We're starting with a little uh, pink. We're pink going champagne pink. on ice. Pink yeah. is not just for girls. It is not. I, well, it's no, it's for, not. not just for Psalms either. Cheers. Ah, yes, Asante. Mmm. I went straight to the lips. Uh, so I've had this uh, champagne before. It's uh, Pierre Gerbet. He happens to be a grower uh, champagne. Yeah, great segue. Yeah. And so, but the other two champagnes I have with me actually grow grapes too, mm -hmm. but... Pierre Gerbet grows 100% of his grapes that he uses in his wines. So, of or course. Or he uses 100% of the grapes that he grows. There we go. Even better. <laughs> yeah. So when we think about champagne producers, there are a bunch. It's like um, there's Mama Pop. There is the family farm that's been 100 years. 
There's the co-op. There is the um, the, the the marquee, the, and then you got the Costco that brings it in. So uh, <laughs> basically, you have the uh, Reclaton Manipulant, which is the grower and producer manipulator. You've got the Marc d'Achaté, which means someone's actually putting a label on it and putting it in a grocery store. It could be the same wine with 10 different labels. you got the uh, Negociant Manipulant, which is someone who buys grapes and makes the wine. Uh, you've got the Cooperative. Uh, I think it's a CA. Is that Cooperative d'Achaté? Mm-hmm. Um, is that it? Am I missing one? There's a SM. S- SM, right. Society of Manipulators. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what's funny? You'll never really see that unless you're looking for it because they use the tiniest font on the label. But if you ever look at the label of the bottle of champagne front or back, you'll see some numbers there, and you'll see a couple letters. It could be an RM, a CM, mm-hmm. an NM, or an MA. Um, anyway, that's what we're referring to. So we're getting pretty geeky here. Uh, but let's talk about pink champagne. Um, how do they make it pink? Is it because it's a red wine Well, or a red grape? Of course, uh, lots of rosé, dry, uh, still rosé, is mm-hmm. made in direct press, as they call it, meaning they take the red grapes, they put them in a press, they press the juice out. And the color comes from the skin, the juice contacts it, and, and gets yeah. some of that color. Yeah, and actually all champagnes, pink and clear or white, are all made direct press, of course, right? right. So the, the red, Yep, the red grapes go in the press. Um, separately, so the Pinot Noir goes in separate from the Pinot Meunier, Pinot Blanc, and or Chardonnay or whatever. They all are separately vinified and then blended. So really, all champagnes are clear, right? Even in though fact, red they grapes. call the the wine they make Van Clair. Van Clair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> We're figuring it out as we go along uh, here. <laughs> it. You know, it's all popping back in there. I think I studied this years ago, and uh, so happy to have Reg Daniel, the uh, one of the portfolio managers at American Northwest Distributors. She has some champagne. We're celebrating uh, International Champagne Day on October 20th, of course. Uh, that's coming up next Friday, so go to your local favorite wine store and get some bubbles. In fact, buy, buy some champagne and, uh, you know, chill it, but not too cold, right? Well... Here's the deal. What's the deal? Okay, a couple things. First of all, October 20th is Champagne Day, and it also happens to be Big Daddy's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) That's my husband. I was thinking, is that a streetcar named Desire? (laughs) (laughs) And Big Daddy and I, the greatest time of year is October, November, December, because from his birthday onwards, seriously, Christopher, for our entire 20 years together plus, we just consume champagne. And champagne, not just sparkling wines. Of course, we consume some sparkling wines too, but champagne is primary. And so that's the year we buy each other champagne for Christmas and literally give each other six to a dozen bottles. We hide them all over the house and then we find them as the holidays go on. You get different sized bottles? You get a couple of splits or a little bit? Absolutely. (laughs) No splits. Oh, okay. I was going to say, there's something under my, there's a princess and a pea store here somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I say that is because, I mean, a lot of us think, okay, we can buy champagne because we're celebrating, but I think of it as like, you should have a cold bottle of bubbles in the fridge all year round especially champagne. Why? Because it's so amazingly excellent with food. Yes, it's so versatile. It goes it's with so versatile. Everything. Right? It does. And the other thing is, you can, and I used to tell my class this, you can always know how to open a bottle of bubbly. You don't need light. 
So if you have a blackout, <laughs> you have something to drink. That's after I drink, actually. <laughs> Forgot about that. Forgot about that. Yeah. No, not me, sister. Not um, anymore. Okay, let's go dial back in. So pink champagne. So this champagne was actually um, made with the, so, the yeah, direct they, press. Direct press. And they and call then, that Sanye. Sa- no. No, direct press is separate from Sanye. Sanye is when they bleed off of a tank of red wine right bleeding Sonia is bleeding bleeding but direct press is like literally putting those whole clusters of grapes into a wine press and pressing the juice out and letting it come out clear it comes out with a slight slight bit of color right yeah Sonia is when they're destemming and crushing the red grapes putting them in a tank getting ready to ferment and then they draw out some juice. They send yay juice. They bleed juice out because they want to change the ratio, right, of right. skin to juice. Yes. So that's Fortify. generally what they don't do in champagne because they don't want any of the phenolics from the skin. Yes, yeah, the bitterness or the right. um, too much flavor. So they add a little bit of red wine to it. Bingo. Still red wine. Yeah. So actually make still red wine. Coteau de Champenois. Coteau de yeah. Champenois, yeah. right, which I bought a bottle when I was yeah. in France last month. How was it? I haven't opened it yet, um, but perhaps I'll do that on Champagne Day, even though it's Coteau. And interesting okay, enough, yeah. they they um, put it in the same style bottle. So it has a champagne cork oh. and a mousselet, and it's That's a awesome. big bottle. I think that they're probably saving money, right? Well, let's just... That's so cool. That's yeah, pretty cool. I never had a bottle of Coteau de Champenois. It's you can't pretty, get it here. Yeah, you can't. So there's one producer, uh, one distributor here in Seattle that has a dry, uh, still red wine from Champagne called Coteau Champenois. Uh, um, and Rex, when we come back from the break, you've got two more bottles of champagne. Um, we're just having too much. <laughs> we have four more glasses. Well, we do have four more glasses. <laughs> Perfect. That's uh, two for each of us. Um, hey, folks, uh, we got some great champagne stores. Fat Cork. Uh, Brian Melitis has uh, some fantastic champagnes. Uh, check out fatcork.com. Yep. All of our friends over McCarthy and Shearing, of course, our friends at Esquin. And ask your favorite uh, wine steward at uh, your favorite store, whether it be the Whole Foods or the Metropolitan Markets or the PCCs. Or the Town and Countries. Or the Town and Countries, yes. Hey, stick around, folks. we got a couple more bottles to pop right here on 570 KVI. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. (laughs) Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round three, and we've got three bottles of bubbles here in studio. It's actually champagne. And uh, so excited to have Reg Daniel from American Northwest Distributors sharing. Oh, yeah. Mazel Tov. Wait, no. Numero deux. Deux. Uh, Très bien. Um, Je voudrais en goûter le champagne, s'il vous plaît. (laughs) We <laughs> oui. Yeah, that means I would like to taste the champagne, please. Um, and you don't be shy. These are big glasses here. <laughs> and speaking of glasses, what kind of glass really makes sense? Um, a lot of people like use the flutes, and that's kind of how we learned because we like to see the bubbles. And the flutes were made so that you could see the bubbles and really celebrate it. But from a wine perspective, it's like um, trying to eat beef stew through a straw. You don't really get the, the <laughs> whole spoonful of flavor. So you need a, bo- a, a glass that actually has a little bit of 
of a bowl to it, which can capture some of these aromas and also allow, because champagne is very high in acid, mm. um, sometimes you need a wider mouth that helps direct that acid across the palate so it doesn't mm. seem too sharp. There's lots of things you can play with, but if you're at home, try some different glasses and see which one you like best, because that's what counts. You can't see our glasses. Reg, what do you like to drink out of? Brown bag. Anything but styrofoam. <laughs> That's right, because no, too I'm, many uh, bubbles in. Yeah, well, no, honestly, like the glass really makes a big difference. Um, and I, I, th- I relate it to coffee because we're such a coffee town, right? So can you drink coffee out of just anything? I can't. Um, Depends what it time it is. It has to be like a nice cup, uh, you know, the right size, shape, feel. It makes it taste better. And it's the same with, uh, with all wine, but especially sparkling wine. Yeah, there's some crazy uh, cups with them funny lids on it. He's like, yeah. how does this work? Who did this? Don't patent yeah. that. You're out. Um, today we have, uh, um, it's called a, it's an Arcarot glass. This is really an ancient glass. It's probably 20 years old, actually, because it's got taste Very versatile. Viking. Yeah. Um, but it's got a relatively about a four-inch uh, long bowl. Mm-hmm. It's about two and a half inches wide at the top and maybe three inches wide at the bottom. So it's kind of a, a, a convex shape or a conical. I'm not sure what the... Geology terms or geometry? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell he's swallowing? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm swallowing here. It's swallowing my tongue. All right. Um, so we were talking about glassware. We talked about some of the soil. We've talked about the process. Well, we haven't talked about the process of champagne. So quickly, give us a rundown. How does champagne work? You press the grapes, then you... you... Press the grapes and you vinify the wine. And that means you're just making sure the yeast and the sugar uh, have the right environment to do their thing, to turn the sugar into alcohol. It's vinified to dryness, meaning that all the yeast, uh, oh, the yeast eats all the sugar. And once it's dry, that's uh, when they take the different lots that they have vinified and blend, right? That's what Dom, the Dom came up with, Dom Perignon, not the other Dom. Not the Dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> and so the blending is really important because you want to make sure that you still have uh, the complexity that uh, is going to be from the different grape varieties, right? So yes. we have, you know, you can smell some of the red grapes in this white champagne. Like if you smell it right now, you can smell some of the, like cherry, which comes from Pinot Meunier or Pinot Noir. And then you can also smell the Chardonnay. But uh, so that blending is really important. You also want to blend back vintages, right? So vintages that maybe had more complexity, that will add complexity. Right. It's talking about house style at that point, because when you have yeah. make a lot of wine, you want to be consistent, and every vintage can never be consistent because they're always different. Uh, so basically, when you're your large house, you have some um, van de reserve, mm-hmm. and you add that to maintain your house style, which adds just a little finesse. It kind of keeps that common thread between all of the years you releases. Now, there are several types of champagne. Obviously, you can have a single vin- uh, a single vintage, you can have a single variety, um, and then you can have <clears throat> a pink champagne, uh, a sweet champagne. So there are different levels of sweetness. And when we think exactly. about the secondary fermentation, yep. you're also adding, because champagne is basically harvesting very, very tart grapes because you want that mm-hmm. acidity. Mm-hmm. That keeps the length and elegance to it. But by fermenting it, you also get some of this, uh, the dead yeast cells in the bottle, mm-hmm. and that creates a chemical reaction called... Well, autolysis, but uh, so once you get your blend together, that's when they're adding a special yeast that all the champagne producers use and some sugar. And now they have tablets so that it's extremely precise because back in the old days, they used to have to wear 
iron masks, right? When they went down in the cellars right. because bottles would explode because the yeast and sugar would get together and they didn't know how much they were adding. They, they could get out of that iron know, mask. Now like, so. the iron mask is gone. <laughs> <laughs> and they have precise amounts of yeast and sugar that get added to that dry wine in the bottle, the same bottle that you pour your champagne from. Uh, they add that and then they put the soda cap on or like a crown cap, crown cap. right? Like yeah. you'd find on a beer or soda. And then it lays in those chalk caves, Christopher, and that's the magic. The autolysis happens down there. Autolysis is uh, consumption of the yeast, uh, I'm sorry, of the sugar uh, by the yeast in a closed environment. And it creates all this complexity and manoproteins. Proteins, and, mm, yeah, which um, you think about egg whites so can be good. creamy. Um, and when you think about the, these wines sitting in bottles in the caves, they're actually sometimes... Uh, on their sides in in mm-hmm. long drawn out caves mm-hmm. where I see chalk numbers of a hundred plus thousand bottles, uh, and sometimes they're on pupitres, which are little uh, a frame houses with holes in them that uh, the the riddler, the person who comes and turns the bottles to make sure those little dead yeast cells get to the cap, they can remove it so you don't find that stuff in your bottle. That's good for a hefeweizen, but not Bingo. necessarily good for a champagne. Right, and that's the last step of this autolytic process is. They need to get that yeast out. So the bottle is on its side all of its life, and it could be in the caves anywhere from no less than 15 months, uh, but oftentimes years it's in the caves getting all this complexity. They get rid of the yeast by putting the bottles in these pupitra, as you mentioned. And uh, originally they're, what is that, horizontal. And then as each day they turn them, like a 16th of a turn, several times a day and upend them as they turn them so that the bottle ends up upside down in this hole in a pupitra. Yeah. Yeah. And they also have uh, gyro pallets. Yeah, to say so. <laughs> it's a lot faster. Some labor you know? laws got involved. <laughs> and the, the carpal tunnel is, you know, cut back on the uh that's true. Poor little pupitre. Well, let's talk about the bottle of champagne. People. You have one more to pour here, so I'm kind of curious of what yeah. you brought. Uh, this last champagne was delicious. Um, when we talk about some of the sugar levels, obviously everything starts with Brut because that was uh, a um, – well, we love sugar. I mean, that's just kind of a – wow, all right. English that's term. right, English term. Um, they made Brut champagne for the English because the English did like sweet wines, and you know that because they loved port and they loved uh, – Madeira, and um, they love sweet. In fact, that's uh, sweetness was actually a protector, it uh, um, preservative for wines. Just like you think about all the sweet wines in the world, they can last a long time. Wow, this is amazing. Kind of like a Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the Brut is really not the driest level. Uh, as you know, Brut Nature and Extra Brut are drier. Uh, generally, Brut Natura means no sugar was added at the end of that process. After they get rid of the yeast, they add back some sugar and wine to replace what was spewed out. Um, and Brut can be anywhere from, uh, they changed it, but it used to be 0 to 15 grams per liter. Now it's 6, six. to 12. 6 to 12. So that recently changed. Um, so we see some champagne houses using only six grams of sugar and others using all the way up to 12. And often that depends on how long they are in the caves, right? Because you get more complexity and you don't want to overwhelm that complexity with sugar. So usually yes. uh, longer time in the caves. And sugar yeah. often hides some things too. When you exactly. think about your iced tea, you had a bunch of sugar, yeah. it's a tutanic, whatever. Yeah. Um, when you think about champagne, champagne started with uh, very humble beginnings. And now it is a huge, huge uh, industry. 
and in a good way because everyone is is winning here. The farmers are winning, the vineyard growers are winning, the houses are winning because they can maintain their uh, maintain uh, supply and demand. Um, and as the economy uh, wanes and ebbs or ebbs and flows around the world, um, some countries <laughs> can buy more champagne than others. We have what? I have an app. Yeah. I'm not really advertising this app or anything, but I'm just checking to see. It's a flower day on the biodynamic oh. calendar. And so flower and fruit days, generally, you can taste, you know, food tastes different. Wine tastes different. Uh, it's all based on the magnet- magnetic pull of the earth that Rudolf Steiner came up with. But it's apparently it's a flower day. Well, I'm wondering what point we lose everybody. <laughs> Now, is it a flower day both in the northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere? I think so. Or because perhaps that magnetic... Uh, Just keep drinking. All right. I'm going to keep drinking here. <laughs> um, and it is uh, Champagne Day. International Champagne Day is October 20th. Um, so they're having a big champagne contest, right? Isn't it uh, pound champagne something you can do? You can take a picture yep, yep. and post it and you win like um, 40 million bubbles. You win a lot of uh, bubbles. A lot and of that's bubbles. What, that's what you want is a lot of <laughs> bubbles for the holiday. It's hashtag Champagne Day. Um, so you want to tag it. Champagne Day. Hashtag Champagne Day. Hey, folks, stick around. Uh, we're going to drink more champagne. We're going to talk more champagne and have uh, bubbles of fun right here with Reg Daniel on Happy Hour Radio. He's back, and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local weekdays, 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI, Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Yeah. Uh, plop, plop. <laughs> fizz. Oh, what a relief it is to have champagne in the house. I got Reg Daniel, Portfolio Manager with American Northwest uh, Distributors. She was so um, delightfully, lovely, bubbly, effervescent to bring three bottles of bubbles here today. Uh, champagne Day, October 20th. Hashtag Champagne Day. Hashtag Champagne Day. That mm-hmm. easy, folks. Take a picture, show the world what you're drinking, and maybe you could win 40 million bubbles, which are located or found inside a bottle of wine. But people <laughs> think about champagne. We, we don't want to drink it too cold. We want to have a nice chill on it, um, but not ice cold because uh, it, it mutes the flavors. Mm-hmm. But what flavors mm-hmm. typically f- will we find in champagne? Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to find probably some of the varietal flavors from the fruit, right? So like we talked about, the cherry may come through from Pinot Noir or, or Pinot Meunier, or if it's a Blanc de Blanc, means all only white grapes. So you might only smell white grapes, which could be pear, apple, floral notes. And then behind that, those are primary aromas, right? Behind that, we start to get the secondary and tertiary aromas from the aging process. And that's the yeasty notes, the bread dough, the biscuit, the brioche. brioche. Are you getting hungry? I am getting hungry. <laughs> but also, I oh, like the middle one, the second one, the Charles Elner. Elner, we got like limestoney, mineral, salty, briny mixed in with all that stuff, right? There's a lot of flavor in in that particular wine, the Charles Elner, which um, we're not supposed to talk about which champagne we're drinking. But 
uh, wine number two. We can a little. Um, yeah. yeah. So when we think about it, we're talking about basically um, tree fruits and citrus fruits. Sometimes you might get a little stone fruit, rarely, um, but also nuts. Yeah, um, exactly. Almonds and, and hazelnuts yep. and perhaps a little bit of cashew. Uh, and then we have some of the... Uh, grains, whether it be, um, mm-hmm. you know, toasted popcorn mm-hmm. or uh, brioche, mm-hmm. um, some of those bread notes. Um. Yeah, there's, it's amazing, the complexity. And often the longer it's in the caves, the more complex it can be. So looking for those vintage champagnes, like this one we're drinking, this last one is a 2008. 2008, Grand Cru. Now, what does that mean? I mean, obviously, Grand Cru means uh, a great, great growth. A great growth. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, my grandma had a great growth. <laughs> That was on her nose. Oh, oh kidding. Poor uh, grandma. She didn't drink enough champagne. She, maybe she did. It's kind of bulbous. <laughs> All right. So uh, Grand Cru means that these these particular vineyards, this village was considered to be of the premium grapes, so they yep. get the full price. Yep. There's Premier Cru, and then there's um, also uh, vintage champagne, yeah. non-vintage champagne, and tête de cuvée. Tête, tête de, de cuvée. cuvée is a French term meaning... The, the head of the blend, yeah, right? The top. The top. And so name some of the wines that are out there that have that are tete de cuvee. Well, the Tetanje is, of course, the most famous tete, the tete de cuvee. Comte de Champagne. Yeah, Comte de Champagne. But then also, like, uh, if you drink Veuve Clicquot, the Grand right. Dame. The Grand Dame. Grand Dame is uh, The Belle Epoque from Perrier Jouet, mm-hmm. of yep. course. Uh, the Flower think, Bottle. The yep. Flower Bottle. And then you've got the Roterer Cristal, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, the wrapper wine. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. yes, but that's Armand de Brignac now, <laughs> which is the Ace of Spades, oh, I think. which is also the Motorhead song, I believe. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Because champagne is champagne. Yeah. And as long as you're enjoying it, right temperature, clean yeah. glass, good people, buy yourself for that matter, although, and champagnes are is also um, helped inspire some of the best quotes. I don't have any on me, but well, Madame Boulanger, she said, um, "You know, I don't drink it unless I'm thirsty or hungry, or if I'm feeling a little tired, or if I'm not tired enough, or I f- I find it obligatory when I have company, and then when I'm alone also." And otherwise, I don't touch it. <laughs> it leaves nothing. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, fantastic. So uh, we, we have to thank the uh, the Comte Interprofessionnel de Vin de Champagne for sharing this opportunity to have uh, Pound Hashtag Champagne Day. Reg Daniel, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio and bring these beautiful champagnes. Thank you. Hey, where can someone find some of these champagnes that they don't know we're drinking? What's some of the stores? Wow. Some of your All partners? All over. Esquin for sure. Sure. All right, all the town and countries, all okay. the yeah, all the met markets. So go They're go everywhere. there and ask them. You want the the A and W, not the A and W root beer, <laughs> the American Northwest, <laughs> or ask for me. Uh, ask for Reg Daniel. Hey, thanks so much. This is uh, a delight. Hey, folks, it is October. Um, the goose, the ghosts and goblins are coming out, and uh, that's coming up in a couple weeks. But you also got to think about the holidays. And Reg was talking about uh, October, November, December being the champ, the three months of champagne giving. I invite you to the Holiday Wine Fest, which is uh, Saturday, November 11th at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. It is um, 
a full day. There's two sessions, noon to four, and then five to nine. We've got wines from around the world of Washington and California and, and France and Australia and uh, Argentina. And uh, we have beers, uh, local beers. Uh, we've got a host of great uh, spirits, local distilleries, and, of course, some ones from uh, Kentucky and around the like. Um, of course, we also have ciders, and the ciders are just getting better and better. Uh, food samples, and, of course, artisan shopping. So check it out, hollywinefest.com. Uh, if you ever miss a show, I invite you to check out the website. It's holiday. Wait, no. <laughs> Happyhourradio.net. And when you're out and about, be sure to look around, and life is always better with the designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.